Silver, a show about sports, art, and the creative space they share. My name is Abigail Smithson, and as always, I am your host. And it has been a crazy couple of days in the sports world, as I'm sure you all know. And this is my first ever true emergency pod. Um, unlike other podcasts, uh, maybe with more people working on them, I can't put anything out right away or within a half an hour or an hour or two hours of an event happening. But I did record this podcast in response to the Wildcat strike staged by the NBA and the WNBA starting on Wednesday of this week. I believe that the Detroit Lions were the first sports team to withhold their labor and sit out practice uh, in response to the shooting of Jacob Blake, Uh, but it was certainly the NBA on, on Wednesday with the uh, Milwaukee Bucks uh, not taking the court and, and remaining in the locker room uh, and and, for, and choosing to forfeit the game. Of course, it's turned into a postponement now, but they chose to forfeit their game against the Orlando Magic, and that led to a domino effect of games being postponed in the WNBA as well. We, of course, know that the WNBA is very um, active with their uh, social justice protests and the demands that they are making and um, what they do on a day-to-day basis. And so they had postponed all their games as well. And then we've seen it spread to soccer, to hockey, baseball, and and tennis And today's guests are professors of sociology, Kyle Green and Alex Manning, who are back on the podcast. They were just on the podcast a few weeks ago with another professor of sociology, Stefan Sud, to discuss a academic paper they had written about social activism in the NBA and the limitations and possibilities of it. And so they're back on the podcast um, today to discuss the Wildcat strikes and uh, that, of course, were in response to the to the horrific shooting of Jacob Blake in Kenosha, Wisconsin, and the subsequent shootings of three protesters in Kenosha that left two dead by an armed vigilante. Um, so we recorded this episode on Thursday evening, that's yesterday, and since then the Players Association and the NBA have struck a deal to continue the playoffs to, and some of the things that they have um you know, the the deal is that they're going to establish a coalition of players, coaches, and governors to, also known as owners, to work on social issues and to establish every arena in a in NBA cities that are actually owned by the NBA uh, by the NBA owners as a polling location in the upcoming November election, um, or to be used as some way as an election related facility. Um, among other things. So these are just aspects of the sort of deal that was reached so that the the players um, are going to, you know, the playoffs are going to continue tomorrow. And these are some of the the deals that have been have been made. Um, so just so I just say all of that to know that we spoke about this last night and recorded this episode before all of this news had broke. And we knew that going in that that would happen. But I just wanted to to make that clear that we're speaking about this before the deal has been made. And I also want to mention one other thing before we get into the episode. I just want to say that I get pretty nervous when I'm calling one of my elected officials to read from a script, even a, a, a script that someone else wrote uh, that relates to an issue I care about that I want to speak on and I want to have my voice heard about. 
And so I get really nervous when I'm doing that. I very much admire how players from the NBA and the WNBA are really willing to address their elected officials head on. Um, we saw that when the Milwaukee Bucks were were not taking the court, they were actually in the locker room speaking with the attorney general in Wisconsin and the lieutenant governor of Wisconsin to ask about, I mean, with the lieutenant governor specifically to ask about hey, what should we be asking for? What might be some of the demands that we can make that that could help this cause and to sort of brainstorm with the lieutenant governor? And, um, you know, I also heard that some NBA players, I read an article that some NBA players actually spoke with President Obama on Wednesday for the same reason, to, to, to speak with him and maybe share some of their ideas and to listen to his advice about, about what they want to ask for and what they want to, um, yeah, how they want to, how they want to sort of advocate for themselves. And uh, I admire that so much, and especially in the WNBA, this ongoing situation with Kelly Loeffler, also really admire those players for taking on sort of someone, a senator, a United States senator that has a lot of power and owns um, and, and, and owns one of the WNBA teams, and they're pushing back, pushing back on her directly. So I just really wanted to say how much I admire that. I think it's an incredible thing to be able to to do that and to approach these figures, these powerful figures, directly. And so it is just really an amazing thing to to ask for what the change that they want and and demand it in some cases when they're when they're not getting it and they're not seeing it happen in a way that they think is is fast enough or or, or meeting this this current situation that our country is in. So shout out to all these. Um, players that are that are really you know stepping up and I don't think it it is not just up to them it is up to all of us like you know I have to make those calls too and they make me uncomfortable but I just want to say how much I admire them for doing it so thank you so much for listening and take care okay Kyle and Alex we are without uh Stefan today for this conversation um which uh we just spoke not that long ago right before the NBA started about what might happen once the game started, what was going to happen with the demonstrations taking place, the Black Lives Matter movement, how that was, how the NBA was choosing to to move forward with that. And um, so here we are, like three weeks, over three weeks later, um, and the NBA, there was, there is a strike in the NBA, there, uh, a labor strike by the players uh, that started yesterday, and, uh, but there's also ongoing negotiations about bringing the game back, and I am just, uh, you know, this is totally relevant to the work that you guys have done collectively around the possibilities and limitations of activism within the NBA by individual players, and I think we're seeing, as of yesterday, on a mass scale, what what is possible or not possible, and we don't have those answers yet because the players are meeting with the board of governors tonight and and we'll probably have more answers soon but just I'm so curious what you all have been thinking over the past 24 hours and since Alex sent a text that said the bucks might not come out on the court and everything that's unfolded since then I have to say that the whole time all of that was happening I was listening to classical music and just like the ups and downs of the music like going along with this really like like history kind of playing out in this way that I don't know if I have totally uh, lived through that, having started to read um, John Carlos's book yesterday as well, was just a real moment of many, many things happening on the sa- same day that it just felt very dramatic and, and, and yeah, like a real a moment I wanted to, to be a part of and remember. So what are you all 
thinking at this point about the player striking, withholding their labor, and the conversations that have come out of that. Yeah, Alex or uh, Kyle? <laughs> no, I think experiencing what has happened over the past couple a couple days, um, one just on a personal level of inspiration, given what has been going on um, with Jacob Blake with uh, Kyle Rittenhouse murdering protesters. Um, there's a lot of pain and struggle that's been continuing. Um, so to actually see uh, the NBA players and WNBA players and it kind of spread throughout the sports world was all, was very inspiring. I think because Howard and Howard Bryant talks about this because they're such visible cultural, but also figures, but also figures who are tied to labor, right? Because of their power position even if they are highly, highly compensated uh, folks. The strike felt like it was actually a true demonstration of solidarity, right? And actually a, a moment of leading, um, which was just, which was, yeah. So I come back to kind of inspiring in that way, so on a personal level. Um, and also something, because people have been always speculating about when a boycott, when a, when a strike would happen at all levels of sports and labor, right? It's kind of always kind of talked about by folks who lean more to the left. Right, and when they were frustrated with sports, kind of complicit, complicity, complicitly, yeah, complicity in uh, reproducing, right, inequalities, um, and systems of oppression. So yeah, that's that was my initial reaction. Um, I have a lot of other thoughts, but also just to emphasize that this has clearly been building, and I think in the most immediate context like the last seven years, it's through Trayvon Martin as the kind of initial catalyst for players to shift across sports and their kind of awakening or kind of, or political voice. Um, but then also we can then tie it to a much longer, larger history of black liberation movements, right? And civil rights movements, et cetera. So that's um, there, um, and I'm happy. I'm excited to talk more about this. Those, that's my initial kind of thoughts. Yeah, I was I was also in a I learned about this through your text the same way that Abby did, but I was um so Abby mentioned this before the start of the recording, but it was my birthday yesterday. So one of the things I did was just try to get away from work. So I was in a kayak and I was <laughs> I was in a river away from I didn't even know if I'd have signal <laughs> and I got a text from you saying the Bucks might not play. <laughs> and I was like, wait, what's going on? <laughs> um so then I was floating down a river trying to figure out like look it up with with a slow connection. Yeah. Um but I, I think I think it's important to building off what you were saying, and I took some notes right before we started talking, that before we move into even thinking about what's next, which is often the question immediately, um, and I was frustrated because that, you know, that was one of the things that started to happen right away because Kenny Smith had this inspiring moment where he walks off the set and then we're left with Charles Barkley and Shaquille O'Neal to, to talk about this issue. And as, as much as I find them to be incredibly entertaining figures, and I appreciate them on a lot of levels, they weren't necessarily the best people to talk about this in some ways because they immediately started saying, okay, what's next? And I really appreciate when they went over to Chris Webber who made the point, you know, and Chris Webber gets some hate for his commentating recently. Um, I'll stand by Chris Webber forever. But he started off by simply saying, let's not jump to what's next, the action matters. And he doesn't know what's going to happen next, but this is a big moment. I think we need to stay with that for a little bit because simply simply engaging in that strike, um, even for a day, because we have indication that the players are coming back. That's huge. And I think that 
deserves celebration. And too often as academics, as cultural commentators, we always just jump immediately to being like, all right, what's going to happen? What's what's going to occur? But there's been a ton of pressure on players since they entered the bubble. Um, I've been texting with you all about this too, where they've become kind of the moral and the moral and emotional conscious for our country um, when our political leaders are absent and failing. And this isn't saying that players should not do that, but what's happened is that players have to do that. And they've kind of stepped up to that, which is pretty amazing to go in front of an audience and a media before a game and talk about another black man being shot or to talk about what political action you want to take and then have to entertain. And if you don't entertain well, or if you speak poorly about politi- about politics, you're going to be critiqued either way. So just to be out in front of all this and to be dealing with the emotions, to be to be grieving in front of a national audience, like that's a pretty incredible thing. Um, and then to still be able to surprise. And as like you were saying, this has been coming for a long time, but still that moment was such a shock when you're like, players are actually not going to play. And I mean, on a basic level, it taught the national audience, international audience, what a wildcat strike is, right? And how how this is not a boycott, boycott, but it's a wildcat strike. That's pretty impressive. Like that's that's stuff that that language isn't out there. Um, so I was, I think we need to take some time to think about that. What what the players did, no matter what happens next, no matter what the action is that occurs, that was a big moment that that did a lot, um, that forced a lot of thought, that forced a lot of conversation. And that reminded us who the players are, that these are people trying to make sense of what's going on at a time that's pretty horrific. Um, so yeah, we can, we can keep talking about why I think that moment was powerful or whatever other direction you want to go. Um, but I, I, I do want to follow Chris Weber and being like, this action matters. The action itself does a lot, no matter where it goes next. Absolutely. Um, and I think that that was a really important thing for him to address, because even I think that even after Chris Weber, it was before Chris Chris Weber spoke that we already knew the Bucks were on the phone with the Attorney General of Wisconsin, I believe. So it just felt like things are happening. Like they're not hanging out eating pizza in the locker room. Like there's steps being taken. And, and even if who can see the bigger picture here, who can see the end point necessarily? I, I think that it is sort of one step at a time, one day at a time. Uh, And so the fact that there was already sort of tangible action being taken, uh, connections being made that weren't necessarily made before, I just, I, that, that already felt like it was kind of disproving the, the naysayers or, oh, but you don't know what, where you're going with this. So what's the point? You have to start somewhere. And uh, so that seemed a little bit, I, I think, uh, Kenny showing solidarity with the players is also maybe potentially Kenny being frustrated with the narrative that might have been taking place uh, on inside the NBA. But that is me saying that, not Kenny saying that. <laughs> yeah, and I think it, it's it's a moment where we're really starting to see, and this, this goes back to the previous conversation we had on the podcast, but we're starting to see players kind of push the limits and, and test what their power actually can be. Um, because one of the critiques we potentially had before was, all right, so we're seeing players direct their attention out towards the world. That really matters. We're seeing these kind of symbolic gestures. We have Black Lives Matter on the court that have been, that's been sanctioned by the league itself. But over the past two or three weeks, I'd be curious what both of you think about this. It seems like some of that energy and momentum started to stall out a little bit where 
it was almost like uh, like the audience got used to seeing Black Lives Matter on the court, right? And so we begin to accept it. And then this was this big moment where they said, all right, not only are we engaging the symbolic act of not walking out on the court, but it puts pressure on the league and it puts pressure up the ladder, which is what we were hoping for before saying, yeah, the players have a lot of power. The player are the players are these very important cultural icons and, and people recognize their faces and they'll listen to what they say. But the owners have so much money and so much uh, so many political connections, right? These are the billionaires who, in a sense, run the country. I mean, run, run, have international power. And they haven't been out in front in the same way. There's very few owners that we've seen other than maybe two or three who have appeared in ads for the NBA, um, two or three who have spoken out on issues. But a lot of them have been silent. And this was one of those moments where the players are saying, hey, if you're not actually following through, if you're not using your political network to do something, then why are we going out and doing this thing? And the best way to make that point was to say, we can, we can also take our labor away and people want to see this thing. So that was another reason I just found it incredibly important to push for some kind of structural change, push for action from the owners who are able to stay silent in most cases. Um, I never knew who the owner of the Orlando Magic was before yesterday. And I learned that it was part of the, uh, the, just the husband of Betsy DeVos, right? So this is a person who has connections with people who are dismantling systems that disproportionately will hurt people who are black. Right. And then they have a team in front of them who are playing on a court that says Black Lives Matter. So, um, again, thinking just about why that more moment was inspiring and important. Yeah. And building off of that, Kyle, <clears throat> the pushing up the ladder, which I think we're seeing where it was, what are the Bucks demanding to get on the phone with the attorney general? Right. I think we're even seeing some players demanding up the ladder, but also connecting to the connecting to the activists. So I've seen threads of being like, we have to be in touch with the people on the ground, support them. Like they're not acting as saviors or follow, which I think was kind of like when you, when it, when it started out, it was like, we're going to lead and stuff. But I actually think the bubble and actually being isolated has, has been like, Oh, we, we've seen our power shrink or our influence shrink or get kind of, uh, routine, uh, routinized, right? Um, as we're in this bubble, just the symbols. But actually, then there's opportunity. Like, oh, we just need to be a part of the community. Like Jalen Brown saying, like, he wants to be at the protest, which I think is a kind of just a shift. Even in like, we're the leaders to like hold up to push forward, right? But it's like, no, we're just a part of everybody, you know. And then the the with the like the Devos family. This is where. Kyle said like pushing the boundaries and like where does the boundary hit and maybe there isn't one like I'm actually more like wait, we, who knows where it is maybe there actually never will be one that's why we, it's a constant struggle um but it's actually telling right like now we know we should not expect to me as politically we should not expect like these owners to be shamed right to kind of basically like, okay the players are demanding this right and like we're gonna go along with it. I think there are some, it's a contested space, but generally what well, it's the Devos family, we can go to other sports as well, but just with the NBA, there's a reason why they're not speaking. And I think it's in part because they don't want to um, <laughs> do too much because of what their political interests and economic interests are. So yes, the players, this is the, this is the big power play, right? Withhold the labor, threaten your capital, but we know that they like to strike back too. So that's what, that's the up in the air part. I'm not even, it's not even cynical, but that's why I think we see like, is the Devos family 
like they're not gonna be like they're not gonna be pushed to sell the team right i don't think that's gonna be the demands but like it's amazingly brave to be like you have to basically we're challenging your um institutional political um choices of using your resources right and that's basically what's happening uh through through the lens of racial justice which is never happened in the sports world right and the, the money that they make in partnership with the players like where does that, where's that revenue that shared revenue going i think that that was the, the that was a point that was made today that i hadn't thought that much about before is that they're all making money from this and wh- and exactly what percentage of the own of the money that the owners make what are they doing with that money that they make from the nba <laughs> Um, was something that came up, uh, which I, I mean, yes, it's, it's gonna, I think it would be, uh, it was so, it was already, you know, Don Sterling was in the league when people knew how terrible he was for such a long time. And it took this really overt, uh, act to get him kicked out and banned. Uh, even though I think his wife still has some share in the Clippers or something, I'm not sure, which is also strange. Um, but that, that the, it's not, this isn't, there's nothing, I don't think it's going to be like a clean break with people that, you know, disagree with the players or, or support and invest in things that, that end up hurting maybe the players and places that the players are from and places that we're from and all of that. So I think it's just, um, it's really tricky, but that this is, this is like a sort of a fight worth or a conversation worth having in a way that is setting an example of what what is possible like what you know what what happens when you when you take away the way to make money uh for for different people and so i i just think that that's what this could be even if it ends up being kind of messy i mean for me see kyle mentioned this to see a wildcat strike happen in the within a within a space that is viewed as you know Look, they're so they're amazing. They're making as a, such a desirable space, a place where you're making money, status, etc. To see that type of action uh, is is remarkable, and especially as American labor, as labor just gets crushed. I mean, there's been a resurgence of labor, but like traje- long trajectory has been getting crushed over and over again, and this and denigrated in the culture, right? Except for police unions, but that's another right. story. That is relevant to this. Yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> like which labor is yeah, yeah. Uh, like lifted up or, you know, whatever yeah. it is that, that is given the power to uh, to make mistakes and not held accountable in any way. Yeah. And, and I think that that a- also, oh, sorry, I, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to go back to Alex's point also. It, it was amazing to see the learning of the term happen in real time, right? So the initial, initially all the posts were saying the players are boycotting. And then people would have to come along and say, well, we mean a strike. And then people would come along and say, well, actually, we mean a wildcat strike. And just so if, if anyone's listening who doesn't know, so the wildcat strike, and Alex, you correct me if I'm wrong in case I say something stupid, and, and I'll be taking away my uh, qualification as a sociologist. <laughs> but a wildcat strike <laughs> is where there has been terms that a union has agreed to, and then the, the members of the union no longer agree to those terms and go on strike to push it even further and say, you know, things are still not right. So we're going to take away, we're going to engage in a strike, take away our labor as a union, but going against the, the, the agreement that happened before. And a boycott would simply be people choosing not to purchase or consume a good. So if all the fans suddenly said, we can't watch basketball anymore until change has been made, and that could be a conservative audience 
or a more progressive audience, that would be a boycott. But this was a this was a wildcat strike. Is that right, Alex? Okay. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Well, <laughs> <laughs> well if it was wrong, we'll re- we can re-record and erase that. <laughs> um, I've been thinking the bat to stick with the ownership part. Right. It's fascinating with the NBA and WNBA too. They've built recently this idea of collaboration, right? To kind of minimize the ideas of labor power disputes, right? To minimize that the players are that, you know, yeah, to minimize power differences. And I think right now, and even the NBA as they've kind of responded to this meaning Adam Silver and the ownership have, as they've responded, right? Will they continue in collaboration, right? Will they still kind of view themselves as partners, like in in relational terms? Which which we see is obviously that is true in the terms of making the NBA operate. But it's curious, like where um, that threshold will get, and we'll actually if we'll see a shift in how they uh, respond to one. I think right now because it's so the bubble's so tentative, and they need that <laughs> they need these dollars. I think we might still see the collaboration, but it still will be interesting. A long term, and especially as the NBA, because look, the NBA needs new owners to keep their franchises up. That's how they get a value, like valuation, right? Like people, Balmer buys the Clippers for two billion because he thinks it's going to increase in wealth, in addition to his being like a status symbol. Um, so I think that's that's something to watch out for as well. Like, will there still be like this collaborative relationship with a strike for a broader moral good, right? A, a social justice motivation rather than if it was like a strike over just resources within the entity of the NBA, which is where there you see less collaboration. That's where it gets nastier. But I wonder if, because it's racial justice, right? And we have, and there's the backing of so many people, um, how that will impact how ownership relates to uh, these players. Yeah, so this is really a test of the NBA's branding. So the NBA has been making this claim over and over, which I think has been justified to some degree that they're the most progressive sports space. And they've been celebrated as such, especially in popular media. And we've seen that at all these different levels outside of ownership, right? So we saw after the Bucks decided not decide not to come out and the players were going to have these meetings and engage in the strike, the coaches came out and said, well, we support the players, not only are we going to let the players lead, but we're going to back them on whatever they choose. And then we even saw the NBA refs engage in their own form of solidarity where they're marching around the bubble and they have Black Lives Matter shirts on and they're posting that we stand with the players also. So we're seeing all the different levels come out. Um, And then we should also again point out the WNBA, again, leading in terms of action and especially the, the symbolic action where the WNBA has players march in where their shirts and I hope everyone's looked at this image, their shirts spell out Jacob Blake. They've got seven holes in the back of the shirt to symbolize him being shot. They stopped play every seven minutes to, again, point out, look, this game can actually stop, in a sense, making a, a point about labor. And then they didn't play some of the other games. These are incredible things. But then going back to Alex, but what are the owners willing to do? Uh, owners who we know have supported conservative causes, a lot of the owners. So I mean, to be a billionaire is already saying something, right? So what are these people who are billionaires going to do with players who are saying, we can refuse, we can we can actually step up to you and just withhold our labor? Mm-hmm. Um, billionaires don't like being told <laughs> what to do, I think, generally. So I think that's something to consider. 
And also, what what are the what are the asks that can and and if the the ownership comes through, that can that will make it okay to play tomorrow or Saturday? And it was not, it didn't it didn't feel right to play on Wednesday. Like I, I feel like there has to be some something big sort of has to happen. And I don't mean to be too hopeful or too excited about what that could possibly be. And I think that Alex is right. Is that uh, and both of you are right that, you know, the billionaires probably don't want to be bossing around and, uh, you know, they want to be able to spend their money how they choose. But I just think that they're, we, the stage has been set for a really big ask. And, and you know, even today I saw that um, the major sports teams in Cleveland were all working together to address uh, racial justice in Northeast Ohio and that the Toyota Center in Houston is now going to be used also as a polling location and things like that. And even, I mean, that's a really big deal to have that in Texas. Uh, and we've seen it in other places in the country. It's a huge deal to have it in Texas. But at this point, like, now that we've seen that a couple of times happening before, like, we need more than that as well. You know, I mean, it's it's an important and it's, it's such a crucial step. And, and hopefully that can be repeated in elections going forward. But um, now I think that, that more needs to happen because that's already... That's already something that's occurred in a couple of places. Can I follow up and ask, I'm going to ask Alex a question related to what you were just saying. I'm, I'm curious if that, I guess, all right. So maybe I'm being a little bit too much of uh, not a dreamer. So you were saying, <laughs> Abby was saying that, you know, she's dreaming of these big changes that could happen. I, I obviously want that. I think it would be amazing if the players can get the owners to use their power to continue to push for all the change that we'd want to see, um, to continue to build on making every stadium a place to vote, um, arresting police officers who have been murdering people and getting away with it, uh, pushing for changes in legislation, all that stuff would be awesome. If it simply ends up being the players said, we need a day of grieving, we're not playing right now, there's awful things happening, and then they go back to it, but it's a reminder that labor can be stopped when you need those moments. I think I would be still fine with that and amazed by that. I would still say it's an incredible moment for players to, to to point out, hey, we don't need to work right now. We don't need to entertain right now. Let's let's think about this stuff is awful. Right? That that also matters. And that's my that's my way of asking a question while also just giving my own answer. <laughs> um, and Alex was nodding. <laughs> no, I I think it's all of it's right. I think circling back to what Chris Weber was saying, what Mikhail brought him up, I think that is so important to be grounded in like, there is value and influence in just pausing, right? Pausing, reflecting, grieving, however you want to frame it. Um, now, how would the mass media respond who always are looking for the perfect solutions and think that things just happen like checkboxes? Yeah, that wouldn't matter. But to me, I think others it for sure would count um, as a perfectly legitimate and worthy thing to, to, to walk off the job for. Um, so that, so that's, so I agree with Kyle's point about that. Um, and that's why I think it's really important for us to not always go into the, do we think this is successful? Do we think, um, these actions are the exact right strategy because social movements never work like that. Like, like social change is never this sort of like there's just a perfect choice um, that led to some type of outcome. Um, it's a lot messier. Um, and then I would add, though, building what Abigail said, 
Like I think the voting centers is, is are amazing, and that's it's incredible what's happening. And this is where I think this is what the players are probably having these meetings for hours, right? As we like they had no they had meetings more like they're trying to figure it out. They're trying to say what possible demands can we make, you know, what shoot for the moon, et cetera, or what what's what can be imagined, right? Like this kind of gets back to the point of how it's like just even taking the day off to walk off and to reflect and grieve, that allows you to maybe imagine other possibilities, other moment connections of solidarity, et cetera. And so like I can think in my head right now, like what do I want? What 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 can I imagine that ownership? Like to me, it's like, okay, they they pledge to donate millions of dollars and people see 300 million, they go, whoa, impressive, which is a great concession that the players advocate and put pressure on. But I think like it is, it's saying, are you going to put your money into certain political candidates? Are you going to, you know, fund a campaign against that attorney general in the state that your players and the that has caused harm, right? Et cetera. Like those are all these other imaginations, and that's where I think we'll see the what what um, where some of the new boundaries get set. Um, yeah, I think I mean I'm more radical. I'm a ba- I'm a big believer in community ownership of pro sports teams. That's my ideal. My ideal would be that we would push away that these players eventually would keep pushing and pushing. And it's, I'm not saying they, they even want this, but like to me in terms of what could be imagined through these pauses, it's that, oh, well, we want to not be complicit in re- perpetuating harm on communities. Maybe we should be a community entity, right? Truly, not just in like our branding <laughs> and, and through the, the work of individuals. So that's like, that's where I think it's just the possibilities are just out there. And yeah, that's or even even a baby step towards that yeah. to steal what uh, Abby was talking about before she started recording. And I think she stole from someone else. Um, <laughs> but even thinking about what happens in free agency, right? If, if a step towards perhaps not community ownership, which would be this ideal, are players or do players want to go and play for the magic, right? If all the star players say, we're not right. going to go play for you when yeah. you're investing your money in these causes and when your family are, is actively engaged in hurting us and hurting our communities, we're just simply not going to go play there. And if enough players do that and all the stars don't go and a team keeps losing at a certain point, maybe that's a way to get an owner to sell their team, mm-hmm. right? Do, does mm-hmm. a city want to continue to support an owner when players are like, you're not going to ever get a good free agent. You're not ever going to put a winning team on the floor except through the draft. And then that player is going to leave as soon as they get a chance. Right. That's mm-hmm. that's a form of a strike, yeah. too, that can that can work within the system. And so that's what I think. And then building off why this moment is so particular. And it's wild what COVID has done. They actually created a bubble for their labor force to enter. I mean, it's like, a, you know, it's like with Amazon. <laughs> they create a bubble uh, labor force where people are intimately talking about their grievances. Right. And like, I definitely think that's a part of this as well, which then could lead to a conversation. I mean, they, I wouldn't be surprised if they imagine if they're talking about something that Kyle just said. It wouldn't surprise me one bit. And I think that's because of what the moment we're in. A lot of billionaires just relearned that it's really bad to have labor getting to communicate <laughs> with each other. I know. There's a reason like why the having everyone in the <laughs> same place, same time zone. Like, <laughs> yeah, I also think um, about the sort of some of the the smaller things that could have a tangible effect in cities or in NBA cities. I think it was the University of Minnesota, actually, both of your alma mater, where the university has cut ties with the city police department. 
Um, and I think that they, I mean, they have their own police department there. But just thinking of what if all the NBA teams cut ties with the police departments in those cities uh, that they play in and just that they figure out another way to have security at their games that didn't involve the police department and maybe where, I mean, I am a little bit extreme in this, but maybe where the security guards didn't have guns or I, I don't know. I mean, I know I'm dreaming of a world that doesn't exist right now, but just this idea that they can, they can the NBA, the teams have a little bit of power as entities to kind of like exert over the, the cities that they, that they're in. And I know, you know, Milwaukee is, I don't, it's, it's just that I think that that could also be a way that they do that. And this is not against a particular city or anything. It's just this idea that, you know, if this is the protocol for how the police operate, and if they, if this is what that we've seen over and over again that happens, then we just don't want to be involved with them. Um, so I think that that's another way they could kind of, uh, show some strength. And I also, I really do also want to honor that it, it already has such, had such an impact on, uh, the world and the sports world, just with, you know, seeing all the other, uh, seeing all the postponements of baseball games, um, and even tonight as well and football practices, which is just also another interesting dynamic because football hasn't started yet. And, uh, that they're the, the players aren't feeling, I mean, that that mm -hmm. practice is something that they can also withhold. Um, and seeing just people speaking up that I don't think I have heard up until this point speak up on this. And so it's absolutely already made it a difference and has it's a power no matter what, what comes next. And I'll just quickly add, so in, I know we were talking about the NBA, but it has crossed over similar points. So this, the soccer team owner uh, for Utah, uh, their club there, Right, he came out and expressed like how dismayed he was by all the protest, the walkout in soccer, and now you have black players. He's getting shamed. People are shaming him to get out. You have the the wow. captain, who's a black player, black British player, uh, is saying he wants out of the club, which kind of gets to what Kyle's saying. So like we again, these things are not unimaginable. Like we like, like so that's where I just want to highlight. There, there are other examples that are even happening like as we're speaking. Hi again, everyone. I am back to talk about Bookman's, my favorite used bookstore, one-stop knick-knack shop, gathering spot, and Arizona institution. Bookman sells used books, records, movies, musical instruments, and more. You never really know what you're going to find there. You can also trade your own used items in at Bookman's for cash or store credit. And during COVID-19, they have curbside pickup for books ordered ahead of time and for selling and trades. And right now, Bookman's is running a Summer Reads Card program. For every nine books a customer buys, they get their 10th book for free, and Bookman's will also donate a free book to a local literacy nonprofit. Customers can ask any cashier for a card. The promotion runs until September 30th, so there is plenty of time to pick up a card and get some free books. All the information can be found at www.bookmans.com. And for those of you listening who are not in Arizona, please consider supporting your local bookstore next time you're shopping. And remember, Bookman's has cool covered. I was thinking today, I didn't realize this, but Dan Gilbert, the owner of the Cavaliers, I didn't realize that he played a significant role at the Republican National Convention in 2016 and that he was a big Trump donor and just what that, what it means to 
uh, play for someone who is on TV supporting other um, all these other causes that 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 uh, affect uh, the group you're a part of, the place that you came from negatively. And I didn't make that connection with. I mean, I think I knew that Dan Gilbert was just not a great person. I think I had that in my mind, but I didn't really connect. I mean, I, I probably just assumed, but that 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 was that was going on. And I mean, that's just this has all been going on since it's cost money to own an NBA team. And, yeah, and, we don't, and we don't know, I would guess if you polled the majority of fans of the NBA, they probably wouldn't be able to name more than three owners, right? I, I can't name very many owners. People can name Michael Jordan, right? <laughs> but outside of that, so this is that moment, like Alex was saying, there's, there's a reason owners stay silent when these issues are happening. Right. So this is, sun, this is suddenly forcing us to question what, what the owners actually think. Right, and I think that another thing that happened yesterday that was exciting to me was that the Bucks players seemed to be really open by being what what was mentioned before. Like, we need to talk to some activists that are on the ground in these places. Like, we they called the um, lieutenant governor of Wisconsin to say what 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 are good things to ask for in this case? What are some of the demands that we should make? And that was their initial in their initial team statement about uh, demanding that the uh, state legislature there reconvene to address the police reform bill that they've had on their desk since I think mid-June or something. So the idea that we should not expect the players to have all of the answers and that it's night. And I think that, you know, like Kyle was saying in the beginning, that pressure has been there to be already in the space that the, the bubble is very fragile and the players agreed to go into the bubble without without there being, I mean, now it's, it's easy for us to look back and be like, the bubble's great. It worked. Like the NBA did all the right things and checked all the boxes. And then also... Uh, they didn't. We didn't know that it was going to work. So the players went in, uh, putting themselves at risk in a way that was not, not known. And then also, to have to have this happen, to have this issue be ongoing, and then they're also expected to play at the highest level, and compete in in a way and be perfect basketball players. And then when they're done doing that, then they talk to us about social issues and social justice and current events. That also has to to be perfect. Uh, and I think that that is is an unfair uh expectation and that i appreciated them saying we're gonna call someone else and and see what their advice is about what what maybe a next step is and what a good ask is on this and and their ask is very reasonable i mean it's totally possible and super tangible that 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 i mean i don't i i don't know i'm sure there's a lot of like dickheads in the wisconsin state legislature that are like you know boycotting actually boycotting the nba right now and whatever but i just think that like that's a really reasonable thing to request and and was a good that was a good move one of the, one of the things that, that is related to what you were just saying that i think is important and i've been thinking about a lot over the past week or so is that there was a way that the player the risk the players were taking in even uh you know wearing certain slogans on their jersey and having Black Lives Matter on the court and the NBA was taking also was minimized by looking at polling data and saying, well, you know, the general public has shifted towards supporting Black Lives Matter. And even within this capitalist system, it seems like the NBA is playing it safe. And I agree, right? There is there is something. The NBA is a, a capitalist uh, institution and it is going to, st it still wants to maximize the amount of money that they make. 
but there was still a risk in taking this cause. There are there are people who are angry at the NBA. There's fans who are not watching as a result of this. Now, we don't have the data for exactly what the numbers are, but I think that we don't want to completely dismiss those type of symbolic acts. Um, so that's that's one of the things that's been bothering me. And that's not as much happening from the media as I feel like a lot of academics have pointed this out. Mm-hmm. Okay, you know, the NBA, it's under capitalism. It makes a shift when it can make this shift. It's true, but I, I still think that it is, it, mm-hmm. it is a risk to some degree. Um, I don't so know. I wanna, I mean, no, I yeah. want to just build, because you were talking earlier about, um, Abigail, you mentioned this too, right? The kind of, the level of accountability perfection on both morals political voice etc that's now being ex- that's always kind of been expected and black athletes have had this higher expectation as well and, and quicker to judge and so i think too um such as the academic kind of the cynical academic critique is that actually these players are doing things that don't make sense based off of their class position their status, right? If you're if you're going along the cynical take, um, especially unless you are like a, a scholar of like Black history, Black social movements, and, and the legacy of, of Black athletics, but um, all these actions do not make counter their social positions. They are supposed they are the privileged ones. They are the super high earners. They have achieved in hyper competitive America, right? So all those things make it seem like oh they would not be doing even the symbolic act and we're way beyond that they're actually rejecting their position in a way right by walking off uh by risking you know the golden goose so i think that's just something to really kind of center and like like that's why i come back to why i'm just like in a way odd because we don't have really many people in the united states who give up their who will risk their that type of social status and position. It's extremely rare. And not, not collectively, definitely not as a collective. Right, which is why this has so much power in a way that, um, I mean, I think Colin Kaepernick's uh, risk also had a lot of power in some ways because he was, he was it felt very isolating. Whereas this feels like there's a there's a togetherness, even though you know there's uh, there's always like some issues there as well, like as far as communication, the magic being like we wish you told us or whatever it is, but just that there's this that they are they are on the same page more or less is has has a has a real uh, strength and it's a whole business rather than one event. Uh, it's a whole, yeah it's it yeah. And and this is such a a risky time to be engaged in this type of action, which is important. And I know this has been discussed and on a lot of different podcasts, but the collective bargaining agreement is coming up. So it's not just that players are willing to take a stand and risk their position in society, risk their status, but there is about to be a discussion with owners at a time where we don't know what the financials are, are going to be like. We don't know if there's going to be fans in the stadium next year, which is a significant portion of the money. And owners are going to be looking for a way to cut back on what players make and to still take a stand like this and say, hey, we're reminding you that our labor can just be taken away. That's that's a big deal. Even even if I want to be the cynical academic, um, it's still a big deal. Yeah, and, and I, I'm wondering this question of, do you think, so this idea of the, the, the strike, the Wildcat strike building up um, throughout the past uh, eight, eight years um, through the NBA, do you think that 
what we were critiquing and, you know, at the beginning of the NBA reopening and the bubble starting up and the sort of symbolic gestures of the, the activism that wasn't quite uh, taking action in any way, but was the names on the backs of the jerseys and the Black Lives Matter on the sidelines and the, the flags hanging from the streetlights on the Disney campus and things like that. Like, do you think that that allowed for the the strike to happen in any way that without all of these other things that the NBA has done before, even, you know, just in the past month that we, that feel kind of like, ah, is this, is this feels corporate, this feels whatever, that, that this happened because of all these other little things that might not have felt as uh, powerful. There's a lot of beard stroking and thinking going on. I, I, I would say I would say yes in that as I was articulating a little bit before with it looking corporate it all and also the time that it was going on it did seem like it lost energy and got a little bit stale so maybe those those actions that would have been significant before seem to not have power I think that's part of it I don't I don't think we should ignore that I would also say the horror of what happened in Wisconsin played a big part in it, right? So not just that that the symbolism of what was on the court got a little bit stale, not just that all the all the players, all the labor were together to talk about this type of thing, but there was another shooting and the video was atrocious. And it seemed like the players, the players have still been demanding for the something to happen with the cops who killed Breonna Taylor and that hasn't happened. So that's still ongoing. And then you have another video, which is just like, you know, another one that's almost impossible to watch. And then you have a 17 year old white kid who's going out and murdering people on the street and not arrested right away. So, I mean, as much as that symbolism was probably getting, getting stale and that was part of it and pushed the players to do more. I mean, society, what's happening in in the world pushed them to do more Mm -hmm. also. Yeah, no, I mean, and the players said it, they said that in all of the language and what they, and, and what the WNBA and the symbolism, it was for sure. We had another super public incident of of anti-black blackness and black death and suffering. And it was, I think, for sure that's uh, right at the, the major level. And that's what I think with the Breonna, Kylie Mitchell, Breonna Taylor, I think that's what that um, underscores, right? Like how this got stale, right? What, like if you could imagine, you know, maybe something happened with, Brianna Taylor. Maybe there actually was some accountability um, after or some some type of consequences while they were in the bubble. Then maybe the reaction would be different, right? I think for sure all that just comes together and coalesce. Yeah. And and I just I mean I feel like because of this is not. Um, Jacob's Jacob Blake's murder is not is something that you know one of the reasons it's upsetting I mean it's upsetting for many reasons but also like when the NBA bubble started I mean and the WNBA like we we probably knew that something like this might happen while they were in the bubble because it it is so ingrained into I mean how how system, systemic racism plays out through our policing and so I'm just I'm wondering if that was at all a discussion point for the players of the association and, and the NBA as far as like 
this might happen in a way that that we need to respond to in this this big way. Again, this is I mean, this is like I have an idea about that yes. just that that is something that could have been anticipated because of how fucked up this See, country I is. Wonder, and this is where I wonder. I think the players and, and WNBA players are pushing for more proactiveness, right? And sure. my answer for why, to your kind of point, like, would they anticipate it, you know, even though we have all of history to prove that we know this has happened? I'm like, no, the NBA and these institutions always act reactive, right? Because they don't really, they're not invested in it truly. They don't care. It's removed. We can go to other leagues. And because this is also particular about the NBA, like, the NBA allows us these conversations. We couldn't have like an NHL podcast. Like about It'd be really like, short. It'd be really short. Really short, right? And like, or we just be like really frustrated with whiteness and what they're and like, you know, just basically feigning ignorance or removal, right? Or apathy. Um, but I think that's the reason why I, 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 if I would have guessed, I don't think they would have prepared for this because they can't, they don't actually really grapple with the historical record. The statements are right. They can have the forums, which are like better than other leagues. But is it truly like, yo, we are a part of this legacy? Which is why it's cool to see someone like Stan Van Gundy out here on TNT constantly referring to America's historical record on violence and oppression. And like, that's to me why I don't think the NBA could have like anticipated because they don't understand that they exist in this history, right? I think they're trying, I think their people are pushing them, right? Or like you maybe would anticipate, oh, this could be, this is going to happen again because we observe society. <laughs> but and, and and I say this um, in response to that, not to throw too much shade at Adam Silver, but just to say like he he knows. I mean, they're it's like this. It's kind of like the they're choosing to not incorporate that into their league actions or league statement, like what has happened before. Um, and I think that, you know, we can say that about what's happened with Craig Hodges and Mahmoud Abdurraouf and all these people that like there's there's this we're doing it right now. So what's the point of, you know, whatever that means? And then what's the point of, you know, reflecting in any way? Um, and we saw what a major sports commissioner looks like when they reflect. And it's Roger Goodell's video that, uh, you know, maybe we do. <laughs> he appeared to be that it was a lifeless, soulless video that showed very little uh, investment on his end as a person for what these players were asking for. Um, it, it was a hostage situation. So I think that I don't want to see that, but I want to believe that that there are, that people know better in the NBA, and, and, and I and that's, could be totally wrong. And so that's where there's a great scholarship Victor Ray writes about racialized organizations it's kind of, and to me, like the way that shifts in the NBA is that you have to have, and this is not just different people. It's like a different politics and understanding of the world of the people working in the NBA. And I think that you do see that shift, like with Michelle Roberts and the, the players side, I think that's happened. Mm-hmm. Like the, the, or, the organization, the racialized political culture has shifted within the players. Right. Um, but will that happen in the NBA itself? Right. For with, with management and administrators and this thing i don't know enough i don't know who works in the nba detailed but i'd be curious like you know when the lakers we talk about the lakers hired creta brown like what will happen in the lakers organization all these franchises will they have a shift organizationally i think if you actually have that happen which is a long-term cultural project 
then I think you would actually maybe get to what you're getting at with it, where it's not soulless people or just reactive, right? Or soulless mm-hmm. hostages videos. The reactive point is so good. And again, I think I'll just add like, and that's where you brought like the voting stuff. So that's why that's like a shift, right? The fact that like, that's a huge shift in organizational practices for them to, and so then like voting is easy. It's important, but it's like very easy and everyone can get behind voting. <laughs> right? mm-hmm. Cause it's like you, we just support everyone making the choice, right? Which again, I'll take as a step. And, and sadly it's become more contentious, so. I know, right? Now. Yeah, we, <laughs> as much as we like to say everyone get behind voting right now, that's not. So, I mean, even that, even that step, which I agree is like the most safe step, should be the most it's safe, safe tax step within funded, democracy. Taxpayer funded spaces. <laughs> like, I mean, I know they're, they're, they're privately run, but just yeah. like those, those arenas and stadiums are paid for by people that are going to vote there. Yeah. Sorry, uh, Kyle. Oh, no, I was, I was already interrupting Alex, so. <laughs> Alex, please gonna, finish. No, I was just, no, no, that, that was it. I was just going to, I don't want to diminish voting, but I think that, that's the, there are legible steps that are easier to achieve. I think the players already know that, right? And I, that's why, the, like, when Lloyd Pearson's, it, it is commendable because it's so, it was unimaginable, right? But when we actually think about, like, the types of politics, and I would say, uh, reconciliation, <laughs> resource distribution, like that's a whole nother step up. Voting's just a little t- one tool. I was going to ask both of you, um, how have you all responded to the rhetoric of a lot of the players are tapping into this, the statements, right? The idea that this is bigger than basketball, right? That, like everything is bigger than the sport. So this is kind of a tee up for Kyle, but I'm curious what Abigail uh, thinks too, because that is like the, that's a rhetorical move. And I'm just curious uh, how y'all interpret that. Do you think it's effective? Um, yeah, just curious. I mean, I guess, I guess this the the point that I would make, and I, I really I'm curious what what Abby would say also. But the point I would make is one that we've talked about before, maybe on the last podcast, but probably more in text. Where the one critique I have of what the players continue to do is they keep pointing outwards into the world, and that that matters, right? So saying that stuff out there is important. That's where all the bad stuff happens. But every time that instead they look at basketball as part of society, as, as part of culture, as an institution that also has problems, every time that occurs, I celebrate and get excited. I'm saying that's, that's finally a step that we're not seeing. We don't see in sports. It's either this is a place where we have a platform to talk about something bigger, meaning not just a game, or it's a place where we just return to the game but it's it's dismissing the power of the space itself. It's dismissing the power of what it means to be an athlete. And so that that's my critique of that. And I I do get frustrated with that. I don't think that rhetoric is necessary to make the to make the political statement that they're making. No, and I mean I think it's, this also speaks to uh, the discussion around whether they were going to come back to the bubble or not to play uh, in the middle of this uprising in the middle of of sort of the demands for change, and that because they're playing, they are able to exercise this this they were able to have the strike and they were able to to withhold their labor, and that would not have been the case if they had not been in the bubble. So, I I think that it the issues of course are bigger than basketball, but like basketball can, can meet 
can can sort of uh, be a part of this larger conversation in a really powerful, big way. And it is. I mean, basketball shut it down in March. Basketball reopened it, and basketball shut it down again right now and affected all these other sports. Like, maybe basketball is the biggest. I mean, I mean, just right now, as far as just addressing these issues uh, in in the it feels like in a in a from a moral and a direct place um maybe that that is a possibility of of what's happening right now so i think that yes the issues are are much bigger than the game itself but the game if we if we all choose to use basketball in this way then the game can can meet these bigger issues well, and, and maybe to, to contradict my answer, <laughs> or only two minutes later, it's not. It's not that it's. It's not. I can't say players are wrong, right? So someone getting shot in front of their kids that's is bigger than what happens, whether you know, uh, whether LeBron James hits a game winner or not, right? So that's it's. It's bigger than that in a sense, but it's bigger than every form of labor, and I think that's what bothers me. I could equally say, you know, that another another murder by the police that's bigger than me going to brockport and teaching intro to sociology tomorrow that's that's right but we don't hear people say that and that's that's what bothers me i think we hear people say it's bigger than basketball and in a sense it's playing into the conservative narrative that's just a game that doesn't matter it's a bunch of adults playing a game but no it's it's labor right it's labor and it's exciting labor and it's labor that has a lot of uh, fun and incredible moments but it's still that's work being done and it's providing a service to a population. So we all should be better at saying this atrocity happened. I'm not going to work tomorrow. Right. But we don't think about doing that. When I, when something awful happens, I never think about how, you know what, why is it that I am commuting in and going in front of a classroom when my heart isn't in it and we really need, need to grieve, but it's just not an option. And so maybe the, maybe the biggest statement is saying labor can stop sometimes. So um, I, I take back my first answer a little no, bit. <laughs> no, no, so I think I'm with both of you. I think it gets, I've been thinking about this with, I understand it as a messaging PR move because it fits in with our dominant conceptions of what sports are as the play, as the escape, as the play thing, as the, you know, all that. Um, and so I understand, right? You can't, you don't want to say this is a serious issue and then basketball is a serious, I get it. But I think there's, that's, and Kyle, you're getting at too, is that there's, I think that's actually a limitation. And that's where you get to the labor part. Like I don't, the idea of, and this, back to what Abby's saying, um, like basketball is a part, right? Sport is a part of everything. So I think I'm always here for, if there's ways for us to make, understand sport as just as a part of, our social world and to not make it. And I think if we do that, that I think opens some of that, those doors that Kyle was talking about. Um, and also I think, and I, I think it gives more openings, right? For, I think, it, I think it improves how society would pro, like the consumer fan base would, would grasp with what sports are, right? It's to not make it seem this such removed thing. Like, no, we like it, we value it. And it's intimately a part of our social world. So no, I just think it's interesting, but this, I don't think that rhetoric's going away ever. I just think it's, I think it's so ingrained that you have to frame it as like, this is the special place. <laughs> um, it's, it's the special, it's the special, but unimportant place. Like, I just think that's so uh, there. And even with such an important movement that 
that's the that's the discourse is needed. And I think this is somewhat a minor point, but for someone like me, I think Kyle too, we kind of obsess over why this is the way things have to be framed. Right. And that, you know, if we all used what we did every day as a way to create change, as a way to push for change, like if, you know, when we went to our job or whatever it is that, I mean, I think it's, it's just the, the sports, you're right, that get kind of pushed off to the side and this is for fun. This is unserious. Um, this is not a place for such conversations that we're having that are ha happening right now. So it, it totally minimizes it. It's, it's so interesting. Sorry, I'm going to make a joke. Now I just noticed how often me and Kyle play with our beards during podcasts. <laughs> Good God. I know. I, I have to figure out a way to get one for the next, <laughs> the next call. Um, I'm going to keep my hands away from my face. Now. I'm trying to figure out something else. I have, that's why sometimes I have a pen instead. <laughs> I was also going to say that I think that some the reason that maybe some focus has been moved from from initially like what was being talked about at the beginning of the bubble with the players kneeling and things like that is also because the basketball has been compelling a lot of the basketball has been really compelling to watch and it just I mean I know I don't think that they're filming the anthems anymore or they haven't been recently so that's another reason it's probably not coming up as much what's going on there but just this idea that like it, it did, you know, Lucas shot and other such things that have happened, really close games, super competitive, uh, exciting basketball is being played. And that is also, you know, I was like screaming the other day when Luca made that shot. Like I called a friend and left a voicemail. I wanted to run outside and like dance in the streets and, you know, whatever. But that is also a part of, I mean, it's all wrapped up into the same the same game and the same the, the feelings that I had yesterday were very different but they were just as strong and I was just as you know invested in what was going on and it mattered um so much so much more to our to our country and so I just both those feelings can totally exist side by side and I think that that is the power of of sports yeah I think I think that's an awesome way to summarize what we've been talking about and also, just a reminder that moments of exuberance are still okay. You can be, you can suffer for the country, you can suffer for inequality, you can suffer for our history of racism, and you can still cheer at an amazing basketball play. And that's not bad. <laughs> I think I think you're allowed to have those moments. And players bringing that entertainment is that's that's definitely a service, especially during this time. We saw how much we missed it when it was gone. Um, and I and I think it brings up, we had that conversation in the last podcast before this started about, well, would it be more important for players not to return? Um, you know, that, that would give them certain power by not playing would be more important for them to return. And they showed that it's not either or, right. This was a moment where they really showed that it wasn't this, this was actually the most attention that was possible to get by having that compelling play by having that excitement and then show it can stop as another reminder and not stop because of COVID because they've, they've done the best job of anywhere in the United States by far, not even close of, of conquering this thing of creating a safe space and it can still stop. Right. So that that's about as powerful as it gets in terms of symbolism. Um, and then the final point that I guess I, I would make, and then I probably won't have anything else smart to say at all, <laughs> but going back one of the things that you mentioned at the very start is that recently you've been reading 
the was it the John Carlos book and thinking about how that symbolism is still brought up so often, right? This is how many years later at this point, 60 years later, um, we still look at the power of that symbolic moment. And if you looked at that moment a week later, and the first thing you asked was, well, you know, what is what does he do next? What are these two, what are these two runners do next to judge whether it was successful? You'd probably be like, well, probably wasn't the most successful thing. They got kicked out of the Olympic Village. Now what's going to happen? But look how we're still talking about. Look how it's still this iconic moment. Look how athletes today are inspired to be political because they can look back to these two important figures. So yeah, I, I, I think that um, we're sometimes asking, we're too quick to, to ask questions. It's just like we're too quick to judge a player the first year after they're drafted. <laughs> Don't let these things develop um, to turn to the sports metaphor. Maybe Marvin Bagley is going to be really good. Maybe, <laughs> maybe maybe these actions will matter more than and... we even think in the future. <laughs> wow. You came well, back you really to the king. really brought it home. Oh, my goodness. I thought we were going to make it. He just, wow. We already had this the C-Web that, he, you know, he's always going to stand <laughs> yeah, I know, that was the other one. Was was like, that more that subtle, was more subtle. Yeah. So that's where that's where I'm ending my my, my contribution to this conversation. Well, I also think we you know we saw I think it's Boston College or Boston University like their football team is not practicing today was and and I mean just since the I think also you know the bubble opened there's been all these uh, demands made by football players in different conferences around the country like asking for things related to COVID and also asking for for treat better treatment and. Uh, like just treatment as a student uh, athletes. So there is a trickle down effect with what we see that we're already seeing how this particular strike has affected, um, has affected these other players that are not directly involved with these other, you know, entities and who knows who, who it might empower to do what. So I think that's a really good question to not, not put too much like, yeah, it's, it's so, I think we are trained to ask what's next. It's hard and it's good to not, and, and this does feel like, like I was overwhelmed yesterday. It's a lot, like just this idea that empty court and the players coming out. And I think that's like the first time, you know, Giannis was standing to the side, like just the idea of like the emphasis that the league has on individuals and, and the, the sort of the marketers that go along with that and, and the, the individual player being lifted up above the team every game. Um, even though that, that shot was amazing by Luca the other night, like, the Mavericks also played really well, but that's not the that's not the storyline that comes out of it because it's like so much about how that ended and, and what he did. I mean, he was amazing, but also, you know, it's just um, so I, I just when when the Bucks came out to get that statement and it was George Hill and Sterling Brown that were at the front and it just like that had its own power, too. Um, I mean, especially with Sterling Brown having having been a victim of police violence um, in in Milwaukee as well um, meant meant a lot, but just this idea of it, this being a collective movement rather than one person wearing a shirt or one team wearing a shirt or whatever it is, it's like everyone is on board. Yeah, I think just my last thing I'll say is just even recently, I think it was four years to the day that Kaepernick took a knee. I think that was the big thing that was Yesterday, going on. Yesterday, I just think. To, yeah, just to build off what you know Kyle was saying, how these little actions all just add up and not jumping to try to judge something, especially again, if we take a bigger zoomed out picture, 
we're just going to focus on racial injustice, right? The legacy of white supremacy, the continuation of it, actually, right? This is a constant battle. It's a constant struggle. And the players are participating and impacting it in a particular way. And you, we, we never know. I mean, as long, you know, uh, folks in, in the movement have been saying this forever, right? You never, you don't, you don't participate because you know the end or you know it's going to work. You don't. <laughs> and I think it's so powerful for us to, to realize, like, that's not actually maybe the initial purpose. That's the dream, right? But uh, if you always are just trying to guess what's next, like, none of us ever get done, get stuff done based off of just, like, the what's next step. It's pretty limiting. <laughs> so I think that's just to take this from this moment. Like, I'm, while it's, it's weird as someone who's, like, you know, I'm in this academic bubble in this tiny little college town, right? <laughs> it's like all this stuff goes down. Um, it's really just to appreciate that this is happening and to like ride with it and support it and see, you know, what happens in three days, right? What happens when the finals come around? What happens in five years with the NBA after the, you know, let's see where the NBA is in five years because of these type of actions. I think that's something exciting, especially given where we were a handful of years ago where this was unimaginable. So I take a lot of a solace in that. Yeah. So thanks so much, you two, for making time during this stressful uh, first week of classes when you have so much else to do. But this is a serious moment that I just wanted to get the chance to to ruminate on with you and, and to not have expectations, but to... Uh, just, yeah, just like ask questions, but not too many questions. So I think it was great and I appreciate your time. Thank you. It was a great first, did not expect a second visit so soon, but it was, it was really good. We did miss Stefan though. Yes. Um, but yes, thanks. And hopefully we get to do it again. Yeah, and it was, it was, I thought it was fun to talk this through because as much as I've been thinking about it while driving to work and listening to podcasts, it was good to try to articulate these thoughts and hear what you both had to say. So thank you again. Great. All right. We'll take care. Stay safe. We'll talk soon. Bye. 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 Bye.